Hello and welcome to the Interactive Investor Podcast, where we discuss matters of investment interest. I'm Richard Hunter, Head of Markets, and in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Ed Smith, Head of Asset Allocation Research at Rathbones, as we discuss some of the challenges and prospects for the UK economy. Ed supports Rathbones' investment process with proprietary macro-based multi-asset research and is a member of the Strategic Asset Allocation Committee. Starting his career at BlackRock, Ed joined Rathbones in 2014 from Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, where he was Global Strategist and Co-Lead Manager of their risk-enhanced multi-asset portfolio service. He's a CFA Charterholder and a member of the Continuing Education Committee for CFA UK, helping to set the educational agenda for the investment analyst profession and ensuring it keeps abreast of the very latest ideas. Ed has completed a course in quantitative economic methods at Birkbeck, University of London, and received an MA from the University of Oxford. He is a member of the Society of Business Economists. Very warm welcome to you, Ed, and thank you for sparing us some of your time. That's my pleasure, Richard. So obviously, UK economy, we've we've seen some of the challenges shared by some of the global economies, but in terms of uh, honing it back to us, could you perhaps talk us through to start with some of the challenges that our economy is facing at the moment. Yeah, so I think over the next year or two, there are two key challenges. That's reducing the potential impact of a second wave, if that does occur. And then secondly, and perhaps more prominently, is ensuring that the economy reabsorbs as many of the furloughed workers, as many of those income-supported self-employed workers as possible. And I think we're really concerned about that second challenge, because if just 3% of the workers currently furloughed or currently receiving self-employee support, if just 3% of them end up losing their job, that pushes up the unemployment rate by about 1%. And a recent employer survey suggested that about 1 million of those 9.4 million people currently furloughed will end up being laid off. So that's about 10%. So that could mean an unemployment rate rising higher than what we saw during the financial crisis. And that would be pretty uncomfortable. And I doubt the new job retention bonus announced by uh, Rishi Sunak the other day will really help things that much. I'm not sure it's targeted enough. And perhaps the UK faces a bit more of a challenge uh, because of that than, than some other countries. That's exactly where I wanted to go in, in terms of the direction, because there are a number of idiosyncrasies for the UK economy that, that we've got to get through that perhaps some others haven't. Perhaps you could uh, mm. talk us through a couple of those. Topping that list has got to be Brexit, hasn't it? Sure. There's really only two outcomes, or at least near-term outcomes, on the table, and that's no deal or a bare-bones free trade agreement in goods. And I think even the bare-bone free trade agreement in goods is likely to drag on the economy. If you look at uh, economists' uh, estimates or even the Treasury Department's own estimates from 2018, even a free trade agreement is likely to weigh on UK growth, weigh on UK productivity over the next 10, 10 years. For the rest of this year, regardless, I think ongoing uncertainty over the possibility of a no deal or ongoing uncertainty uh, around our trade in services and all those discussions, the can's been kicked into 2021, really. Um, So all of that uncertainty could hold back business investment in a way that has been doing hugely since the vote to leave in 2016. 
And so that sort of drag on business investment is a headwind that perhaps other countries haven't got to deal with. And then just the second one, I think, second most prominent one is that our economy has a much higher share of it is about private consumption, about household spending, and particularly a larger proportion of the UK economy or UK GDP is about private consumption in the services sector, going out to restaurants, for example. And so, and that's where, you know, a lot of the uncertainty, a lot of behavioural changes around coronavirus could end up weighing more than perhaps in the industrial sectors or exporting sectors. And the fact that the UK economy is more exposed to that could make our recovery um, a little slower than elsewhere. And as I think some of the survey evidence shows that expectations for the service sector are more depressed in the UK than elsewhere too. I don't suppose you've got any particular thoughts on the um, alphabet soup that we've been hearing recently, whether we're looking for a V-shaped, U-shaped, Nike swoosh, square root symbol type recovery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The Nike swoosh, I've, I can't quite understand because it depends which which side yes. of the trainer you're looking at, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, um, I think our base case is for a V, but a V that's really leaning towards the sort of right-hand side. You know? sure. So that sort of right-hand line of the V is at quite an angle. So what I'm trying to say is that it, it will take quite some time for activity to get back to pre-coronavirus levels. You know, we think it will get there you know, in a relatively you know, linear fashion, but even our most optimistic scenario, and we sort of modelled various different scenarios, even our most optimistic scenario, we're still not back to pre-coronavirus levels in the UK economy until August 2021, and our base case is really not until 2022. With that in mind, what are some of the more positive prospects for the UK economy, do you think? Positive prospects have got to start with the huge increases in public investment spending that um, was announced actually before any of us knew what a coronavirus was. And in fact, some of that investment spending is being brought forward a bit into, into this year. And that's important because the UK has lagged behind other economies in terms of public investment spending for well really about 30 to 40 years uh, and that means that you know you know perhaps some of our, some of our public infrastructure isn't as good as other other countries our investment in sort of research and development in basic research at universities or in the military perhaps isn't as um, significant as it has been in other countries and those things have a huge impact on productivity in the economy as a whole, in the private sector uh, as well. So, you know, certainly a big tick in the UK's box is that the UK is increasing investment there, and there should be good returns on that. So we're not going to get back to where we were, wherever that is, in the shorter term. Is it, do you think, too early to be thinking about how this financial largesse, chiefly from the government, is going to be repaid? No, I think we should definitely be thinking about it because markets need to be reassured. But I really hope that the strategy isn't going to be to pay back a lot of that debt very quickly by forcing the government's budget back into surplus. And I say that because the great body of evidence that's been massively expanded since the financial crisis is pretty clear now that austerity is highly likely to be very counterproductive at least in developed markets, uh, with structurally low borrowing costs and deficient demand or continued excess saving. 
Um, and that's because it's the debt ratio that matters, remember, the amount of debt relative to the size of the economy, which generates all that tax income used to pay the, the debt servicing costs. So if the government pulls back, if the government moves to austerity while the private sector is still depressed, the decline in overall output is likely to be so large that government finances actually end up worse than when it started. That debt-to-GDP ratio ends up worse than it started, and the fiscal gains from austerity are partly wiped out by the decline in output. Now, the normal pushback on that is that there's evidence that low economic growth is associated with high public debt burdens. But actually, it's associated with, not caused by, uh, and there's a big difference. In fact, the work that tries to establish causation points more towards deficient growth causing high debt. So in short, yeah, we should be thinking about it, but hopefully it won't be repaid too quickly. And I hope some of those factors that contribute to more positive prospects for the UK economy, like better public investment, R&D spending, um, aren't jeopardised by, by such. And finally, Ed, in, in terms of those, uh, those finances, a question around what seems to be an almost circular policy. And by that, I mean that on the one hand, we're seeing gilts being issued, obviously, to, to fund this additional government spend. But on the other hand, and at the same time, many gilts seem to be being bought back as a result of QE. How does that work? Well, the Bank of England is likely to own just over a third of all of the UK government's debt by the end of this year. That's up from just under a quarter of the end of last year. So clearly the bank is you know, mopping up a lot of government issuance. I think the bank is on track to buy about £290 billion worth of government debt through its quantitative easing programme. And the government is issuing sort of 350-odd. So, you know, so clearly, uh, yeah, the Bank of England demand is very important. But the bank isn't buying uh, those bonds from the debt management office directly. It buys them from private investors. And it's doing so to meet its dual mandate of maintaining price stability and financial stability. And it's not doing so because Boris Johnson and Co are telling the bank to, to, to monetize the debt. And that institutional difference may seem a little sort of pedantic or a bit trivial, but actually it's really crucial to why inflation expectations are remaining well anchored, why markets aren't taking fright from that sort of circular relationship. And the history of inflation in the 20th century tells me that high inflation, and particularly hyperinflation, which some people have raised as a possibility, is an institutional phenomenon, not a purely monetary one. So yeah, we think it's a, a good thing that the bank is buying all of these bonds so long as it's doing so off its own back. Well, that's marvellous. Thank you for that. Those fascinating insights. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for. So our thanks go again to Ed Smith, Head of Asset Allocation and Research at Rathbones. And thank you for listening. Do join us again for another interactive investor podcast. <laughs>